Hello, everybody. Welcome to a good football show. I am Patrick Darty, joined today by Denny Carter, where we will be continuing our division preview series with the AFC North. We will be joined by the Cleveland Plain Dealers, Mary Kay Cabot, to discuss the Browns and WNST Baltimore's Luke Jones to talk about the Ravens. Denny and I will then dive into the Steelers and Bengals. But first, Mary Kay, thank you so much for joining us. And I would have to guess. You are one of the most cited sources in the history of our website, Roto World, NBC Sports Edge. We have done a lot, a lot of Mary Kay Cabot reports over the years. <laughs> well, I'm happy to help. And uh, thank you for citing my work. I appreciate it. And uh, just always out here working hard. Yeah, yeah I mean, Pat, Pat has written your name 10,000 times. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. And like these really turbulent, you know, journalistic times the past 10 to 15 years, you've been like old faithful at the Cleveland Plain Dealer and just, uh, you know, it's actually covering the same team and de- developing expertise on the team. Uh, it's been nice to have like a true Browns expert out there always for us to rely on. And I guess we'll just get right into it. And Mary Kay, with the obvious caveat that a decision could come down maybe any moment and immediately date this podcast. What is the latest sentiment on how long Deshaun Watson's suspension will be? I mean, or if there will be a suspension at all. You know what? I think people are still guessing at this point. I mean, Sue L. Robinson, Judge Robinson is currently uh, going over the briefs and trying to make her determination. And then she will spend a considerable amount of time writing out her explanation very thoroughly and very thoughtfully uh, so that everyone can really understand her, her thinking in this process. And this is a new process for everyone. And people want to get this right. Uh, they're kind of setting the bar here and setting the standard for how this is going to go. Uh, so she's going to work really, really hard on this. And I don't think that she is letting any of the extraneous noise influence her decision. I think that uh, she will take into consideration what she heard during the three-day hearing. I think she will go over these uh, maximum five-page briefs from both sides very, very thoroughly. And then she will apply all of her uh, professionalism and and her high, high standards uh, to making the best decision that she can possibly make. And it is a little different because it's not a court of law. It's, you know, it's NFL's rules and standards that she will have to abide by uh, when she makes her decision. So I don't know where this is going to go yet. At one point I thought, uh, you know, I do get this strong feeling from Deshaun's side that he will get on the field at some point this year. I don't know if that's just wishful thinking or optimism, but I do get that feeling uh, that that's what they think is going to happen. I don't know if that's going to happen. And that is just the truth. And I don't think anybody really knows right now. And that this highlights like what an unprecedented situation is where, I mean, you might know more about the Browns than anyone in America. And even you are just kind of reduced to guessing at this point. And do you think the Browns we're, we, I promise we will get to football in just a second, but do you think the Browns, were caught off guard by this process or do you think they expected a process like this all along or was this kind of a surprise to them that you know there was going to be this really lengthy like legal review process the NFL and just did they think this was behind them when they made this move no they didn't think this was behind them when they made this move they knew that they were going to have uh, a, a lot of work to do in the court of public opinion they knew that there was going to be a suspension coming down the pike but no one knew exactly how it was going to play out 
nobody knew if it would get to this point. Uh, you know, there could have been a settlement somewhere along the way. And there still could be a settlement somewhere between now and the time that the NFL season starts. So it's not over yet at this point. And, um, you know, and, and I think the Browns were prepared for, for a lot. I just don't think anybody knew exactly how it would play out. Mary Kay, you know, we uh, in, the, in the fantasy industry, we're, we're really trying to read the tea leaves to see how the Browns offense will change with and without Deshaun Watson on the field. So assuming he will miss a portion of the season, at least, and maybe maybe that's a big assumption at this point. I don't know. But, you know, we know the Browns have oriented their entire franchise around Watson. What will change? What has to change with the offensive approach for Cleveland when Watson is not on the field this year? Well, if Jacoby Brissett is going to start the season for the Cleveland Browns and play, you know, half the season or whatever the case may be, the offense obviously is going to be different than it would be if Deshaun were playing. Uh, Deshaun has, uh, you know, a great deep ball. Jacoby does not necessarily have that. Uh, you know, Deshaun, just his skill set is just so much higher than Jacoby Brissett. So you're talking about an elite quarterback uh, versus an above average quarterback. You're talking about a, a complete winner who finished second in the NFL in rating the last time he set foot on a field in 2020 and led the NFL in passing yards. So it's just a completely different caliber of football right. player. I mean, you're talking about taking an Aaron Rodgers off the field. Uh, you know, you're talking about taking a Patrick Mahomes off the field. So things will change. I think they would have to revert to, you know, maybe a lot of running game, uh, you know, maybe a shorter passing game where you get the ball into the hands of your really good playmakers, uh, Amari and now David Bell and, and Dave Njoku and let those guys do their thing. You know, you rely on Nick and Kareem. It's going to be a vastly different offense in the absence of Deshaun Watson. So then along those same lines, I guess we should have maybe left led with, what will be different about Kevin Stefanski's approach once Watson is on the field compared to as it was with Baker Mayfield, more deep balls, just a more aggressive passing attack overall. I kind of have a hard time believing Kevin Stefanski. It's not like he's going to suddenly go like all pass when he's, they've had so much success with like the foundation of this running game the past two years, but what, in what ways do you think Kevin Stefanski will open up the offense with Deshaun Watson? Yeah, I mean, he's not going to abandon uh, what he does really well. You'll still see, uh, you know, a lot of the play action. You'll still see a lot of the running game, wide zone, and all that kind of stuff. But when, you know, you don't hire a thoroughbred like Deshaun Watson and not take advantage of all that, and they will absolutely 100% do that. And their whole OTAs, their mini camp, it was all basically like a passing camp. They're bringing their passing game up to 2022 standards, and they will take advantage of what Deshaun does well, and he does everything pretty well. The arm talent is uh, is really amazing. I mean, just to even just watch the practices that I have watched, you know, you can really see the difference uh, from, from good to elite. So, you know, there, there will be, I think, uh, you know, they'll stretch the field more and they've got the horses to do that with uh, Amari Cooper and, you know, and with uh, Anthony Schwartz and, and David Bell. And uh, uh, so, you know, you've got that. And then I, I just think there will be less. They did a lot of two and three tight ends. They probably will not do that as much. You'll probably see three wides more often, maybe four wides at times. Uh, I, th I think they'll go back and they'll look at the Deshaun, a lot of the Deshaun tape. They'll talk to Deshaun's former coaches and see all the things that he does, you know, really well and, and focus on those things. But it will be a more sophisticated, a more aggressive, more downfield passing attack.
I remember reading back in March, I think that it would be more spread out. And I think that's what you were just hinting at less heavy sets and, and, and more, you know, spread out three, four wide receiver mm -hmm. uh, sets. So that would, that would definitely change the calculus for fantasy purposes. And yeah, Mary, it, oh, it, definitely, it definitely would. I mean, you know, again, when Deshaun's in there, I, you know, I've often said that like a David Njoku could be an eight touchdown a year guy. And he has not been able to achieve that uh, to this point. But I think with Deshaun, he can. Uh, I think Amari and Deshaun will be dynamite together. Uh, you know, I just think there's a lot of guys that will really elevate their play with Deshaun. Denny's going to ask about David Njoku in a minute because he's been a very like, controversial player kind of in the fantasy realm. Someone who's been like hyped for years and like someone fantasy players have tried to like turn into a superstar maybe before his time. Denny's going to ask you about him, but you just referenced a lot of the receivers and it's like a totally new receiver core. I mean, Odell Beckham, of course, was traded last year, but Jarvis Landry gone. Amari Cooper added. We know Amari is the number one, like the unquestioned number one. Maybe a role. Sometimes he was you know, a little like miscast in some of those four teams where he almost seemed like he'd be better if he could be like an elite number two. But we know Amari is the number one. Who is in the lead for number two? Is it Donovan Peoples-Jones who has flashed some big plays? Is it David Bell who's drawing a ton of hype for a day two pick? Because how is the landscape shaking out behind Amari Cooper and the Browns receiver core? Well, I, you know, I think that right now, if they lined up in a two wide formation, that you would have Amari Cooper and Donovan Peoples-Jones would probably be your two guys. Uh, but they have really high hopes for David Bell. They're very excited about him. And, you know, so much so that it really made Jarvis Landry expendable. So if he can come up the learning curve as quickly as they believe that he will, I think you'll see him out on the field a lot. And I don't necessarily think it's going to be like a Amari and then there's a set number two guy. I think if they need to stretch the field and they are only in two wides and they need somebody that has blazing speed, they can put Anthony Schwartz out there. You know, I think if they need, you know, a, a shorter game then that, you know, maybe David Bell goes in there. I think if you want somebody that can go up and win that contested ball, you know, midfield or, or downfield on the sidelines, I think you're looking at Donovan Peoples-Jones. So, so I think that they've got, a, you know, a number of different guys. It's an eclectic group and they can all do different things. And I also think they're looking at their pass catchers globally. It's not just the receivers. I think they're looking at it in terms of, you know, their tight ends catch the ball a lot. So you're looking at Harrison Bryant, you know, everybody kind of forgets about him a little bit. And he's also a downfield threat. David is a downfield threat. Um, and then Kareem Hunt, you know, catches the ball a lot. So, you know, I, I don't think that, you know, you're going to necessarily from week to week have one set guy at number two. This did Brooke, Donovan Peoples-Jones, I mean, He's somebody you know, he has such electrifying playmaking ability. He can really do damage down the field. You see, I mean, I not I don't want you to make like a statistical prediction, but he took a pretty big statistical step forward last year, went from like 300 yards to 600 yards, like 15 catches to almost 40. Do you think he'll will he take another statistic statistical step forward? Do you think this year, or will he maybe just well, you say the way they're kind of be like kind of moving receivers in and out? Do you think he might kind of hold steady at his like 2021 production levels? You know what? Once again, it depends on how many games that Deshaun Watson plays. And I feel like I say that with that's the answer to everything yeah, we're trying is. to do, uh, you know, key questions for 2022. And the answer to every single question <laughs> I can promise you is it depends on how many games Deshaun Watson is going to play in 2022. I mean, that's just the reality of the situation, because I think all of the production will go up for all of the pass catchers, just absolutely considerably once Deshaun Watson is on the field. 
Um, so I do think that that Donovan Peoples-Jones will take a step up. I think Anthony Schwartz will take a step up. I think David Bell will do some great things once Deshaun is out there. Pat mentioned David Njoku, of course, and and uh, a lot of fantasy gamers have long been excited about Njoku maybe one day getting a shot to be a guy who's out there consistently running routes, consistently uh, drawing targets, and not and not kind of rotating with other tight ends. Now, you mentioned Harrison Bryant a, a moment ago. Do you think it's a, it's a sure thing that David Njoku is the primary pass-catching tight end on this team, or is Bryant going to sneak in there and kind of uh, you know uh, kind of mess that up for uh, fantasy managers drafting Njoku late? You know what? No, David Njoku is TE one. There, there's no question about that. They're they're paying him that kind of money to be able to do that. You know, double digit millions for him, which you know, good for him. He stuck mm-hmm. around. He went through some turbulent times here in Cleveland, and he he got paid. So you know, good for him. And I think that will be reflected on the field. I think he'll have an opportunity uh, to get the ball way more than he has in the past, and he's become a much better receiver than he had had been in previous years or early on his career. He he concentrates now and he catches the ball. Sometimes he misses the easy one and catches the hard one. But for the most part, uh, you know, I I think he will be a reliable red zone threat, uh, a deep threat and an end zone threat. And I think he will catch a number of touchdown passes this year. We just have to hope that he's always double covered down the seam to make that difficult catch (laughs) instead of of wide open. We don't, we don't, we don't exactly. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he has been one of those players, yeah, where he seems like he can always make the spectacular play, but just yeah. a very infamously tough position to learn at the NFL level. But it's impo- I mean, I was shocked at the Browns' commitment level to David Njoku this offseason. It's definitely like a case where actions speaking as loud as the words were like they are seem truly committed to mm-hmm. David Njoku for 2022. Well, they are. I mean, remember, and you might not remember this, but uh, Andrew Barry was involved in the drafting of David Njoku in 2017. And even though uh, he's played different roles and he's Andrew Barry has gone away to the Philadelphia Eagles, he was here and he helped draft David Njoku. And he really liked him when he was coming out in 2017 and saw these things in him and hasn't given up on him. And that has really helped David Njoku. Even at times when David's asking to be traded and he wants out, uh, Andrew Barry just kind of like dug his heels in and said, no, you're ours, you're here, and, and we're going to make this work. And so far it's paying off for David, but I think it he has not reached his potential yet. And he's been around for like 12 years and he's still only like 18. I, I know. <laughs> it, is, it is amazing how it, some guys just, just don't age. Some yeah, guys are so, 24 forever in the NFL. Yeah, so that, that helps that he's still like really, really young uh, in the game and just physically. So Mary Kay, we spent a lot of time talking about the passing game. We're going to get you out of here soon, but we could not get you out of here without a question about the running game. Cause and that has been the foundation of the entire Kevin Stefanski era in Cleveland. We know it'll be changing um, with Deshaun Watson under center, but we also know that yeah, run is going to remain a big part. Uh, just what is Kareem Hunt's future with this team contract year, Kareem Hunt? Is there any sense that he or Dearness Johnson could be traded this summer? Or is that kind of just, silly idle internet chatter and will the Browns backfield kind of be deployed the same way it was the past two years? Well, again, I think things will change um, because, you know, it's a new day with Deshaun Watson at at quarterback. So we're not exactly sure how it's all going to work out. I actually think that it opens up more possibilities and opportunities for Kareem Hunt in the passing game. And it should. I think there should be more Nick and Kareem on the field at the same time. They haven't done that much. But I mean, I, for one, would like to see more of that because I think Kareem can be 
very uh, successful in that regard. But in terms of his contract, I caught up with him uh, during minicamp. I asked him and he uh, point blank about the contract. He, he admitted to me that they ha- he a- has asked the Browns for an extension. I don't think that's going to happen before camp opens. Never say never. It could happen during the season. But I think the, the, you know, the vibe seems to be right now to sort of let the season play out, see if he stays healthy, see what he's all about, and then maybe revisit it in the offseason. So you do envision the current top three in the Browns backfield remaining intact for week one? Because there's been, it's been, we're talking about really idle internet chatter, like that they could maybe try to trade someone. There haven't been like any reports like that or anything. And your, your sense is this trio is remaining intact for 2022. Well, you know what? Again, never say never, because the one thing in the back of my mind is, uh, because Dearness has such a tradable contract, uh, you know, you know, he is someone that if someone comes calling with the right offer and he's heading into the final year of his contract, I could see them being willing to move him because they do have a surplus. They do have Jerome Ford uh, coming down the pike. They do have Demetric Felton. So he is somebody that I think could possibly be expendable. I mean, it's not on the front burner right now, uh, but if someone made them an offer that they can't refuse, I, I could see that happening. Mary Kay, thank you so much for joining us. This great stuff on the receiver core, the tight end group. That I mean, hopefully you get some clarity to the elephant in the room with the Browns because I know it's very difficult to talk about the Cleveland Browns right now with the biggest question uh, unsettled. But uh, we'll be keeping it locked to you for updates as we have seriously the entire time I've been at Roto World since 2011. We have been citing you. So thank you so much for joining us at Mary Kay Cabot on Twitter at the Cleveland Plain Dealer on the internet. Uh, Mary Kay, thank you so much for joining us. Sure. Thanks for having me. That was Mary Kay Cabot. We will be back soon with WNST Baltimore's Luke Jones. But first, a quick uh, reminder. Just a reminder, if you don't have the NBC Sports Predictor app powered by PointsBet to go download it now. The contests are free and easy to play, and you have a shot to win thousands by predicting what will happen in Major League Baseball, on the PGA Tour, and on the NASCAR circuit. We also have a special contest on Tuesday and Thursdays called Battle of the Bets, where you can agree or disagree with our experts for a shot to collect some cash. Denny, Luke Jones is going to be here in just a minute, but I mentioned baseball in this promo I just read. And uh, the folks, I mean, rumors are out. You've been been watching baseball this year? Is this real? Is this for real? have to confirm it because I've been very public about uh, being becoming a lifelong Orioles fan uh, recently. Since the title, since the World Series season of 69. You've been uh, right. a fan since 69. I mean, they won, look, they won the, the World Series in the year of my birth. So, uh, you know, per, <laughs> per the Constitution, I have to be a fan for the rest of my life. That's true. Uh, what was it, 83? 83. Leo's um, took it home in 83. Listen, I, I actually don't think that listeners or, or folks on Twitter understand how much Baltimore Orioles memorabilia, memorabilia I have. Okay. <laughs> Like for, first, can I, can I tell you, maybe I've told you this, Pat, but I, but for, for those who may not know, I went to Cal Ripken's 2131 game. When Did you drove, really? I went, I was 12 years old. I went, I went to Cal Ripken's final game in 2001. I went to Eddie Murray, uh, uh, Eddie Murray's 500th home run game when he was a hundred years old and he hit it for the, the Orioles. Uh, I, my dad has bought so much Orioles stuff over the years and he's given it to me. I have stuff in my office. I'm telling you, I could be an Orioles fan. Well, now we have to welcome in someone who knows a little something about the (laughs) Orioles, but also the Baltimore Ravens. It's our pleasure to be talking with WNST Baltimore's Luke Jones. And so, yeah, Luke, we know you're an Orioles reporter. Were you counting on this kind of streak to tide you over until Ravens training camp started or or no? 
Not at all. And in, in fact, normally, you know, go back five, six years ago under Buck Showalter when they were good. I, I'm doing double duty a lot of times, going to training camp and then going to the ballpark. So now I'm thinking, man, I'm going to be working a lot more. So no, it's good. I was born in 1983. I heard your discussion before I came yeah. in. And so I always tell people it's been look at this mug. It's been that long since they won a World Series. <laughs> That's right. I know. Look at us. We're we're haggard and, and, they, and, they, and they still have more. So, yeah, you guys are in the Maryland area. I'm in St. Louis, two very humid places. And, Luke, thinking about you going to training camp and then to a ball <laughs> game at night, like, I mean, I feel like you would probably just never stop sweating. I mean, I don't know why I'm bringing this up, but uh, so I, I like I, a long, humid day. Yeah, I, I continue to practice social distancing on those nights. There you go. <laughs> So yeah, the Baltimore Orioles, they, they have not lost their capacity to surprise. First with losing like 112 games, and now with winning, God knows. They, they took a series from the Cardinals. So I'm a huge Cardinals fan. You know, the O's came into town like, all right, easy two or three here. Let's just win this series and move on. And then the Orioles won the series. And should have been my first clue that maybe this team is turning it around. Pat, I have to say, and Luke can confirm this, uh, the humidity in the greater D.C. area today is has reached alarming levels. Like... <laughs> You can't go outside without immediately being drenched in sweat. Am I right, Luke? No question about it. And just an aside, Camden Yards has an open press box, which uh, oh, media, oh my goodness. 30 year, it's the 30th anniversary of the ballpark, and, and the media at the time <laughs> voted on an open-air press box. So especially a guy like me who's out at training camp during the day, oh thanks a lot, uh, media brethren who, who's still around 30 years later. Yeah, media brethren who uh, didn't exactly anticipate climate change, perhaps. Way... Way, way and I, DC and St. Louis seriously have the same. We're getting so many like you know feels like on the weather app of like 110 because for some reason there's 70 percent humidity when it's 98 degrees. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah, uh, ready for fall. So Luke, we know the Ravens' backfield got stopped before it even started last season with the injuries to J.K. Dobbins and Gus Edwards before Week One. Is it safe to say that Dobbins is the heavy favorite favorite to be the primary early down back this season? And, you know, what are you sensing on third downs with J.K. Dobbins, which is maybe the biggest question for his young career? And to just also, we saw a Monday report, you know, that Dobbins may not be fully healthy for week one, and then he himself very strongly refuted that. So just kind of what is the J.K. Dobbins lay of the land? Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's tough. I think if you're going to assume, and this is a big assumption, everyone wants their back to come back from an ACL injury like Adrian Peterson. And yeah. just recently, last year, we saw Saquon Barkley. It's not always smooth. It can be really choppy. Uh, a guy's healthy enough to play, but that's not always the same as healthy enough to thrive. So if he makes a full recovery, and J.K. went to Twitter and said, uh, I may not even start camp on PUP, which would be great news. And he wasn't vague at all. It was pretty, right. in terms of like a player update, it was like very right. forthright. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. So if he's healthy and if he's ready to go and understanding he'll probably be better as the year goes on. That's typically what we see uh, with these types of of injuries and returns from them. I think he's very clearly head and shoulders, the upside guy in this backfield. And we saw that at the end of 2020. I mean, he finishes his rookie year averaging six yards per carry a late in the season. Mark Ingram had been phased out entirely and JK was really becoming that feature back. The only thing that makes me take pause is don't forget about Gus Edwards. And you look at what he did his previous three years before his own ACL injury, just a few days before the start of 2021. This guy who averaged five plus yards per carry, you know, right around 700, 750 rushing yards. A lot of those short yardage situations, you know, where he was getting touches, uh, you know, to your point, as far as wondering about third down, wondering about goal line. So, you know, I, I think if you're asking me who has the highest floor, if everyone's going to be 
relatively healthy. It's tough not to look at Gus just because Greg Roman constantly, you know, distributes the carries and, and has a timeshare and they've added Mike Davis uh, veteran back to the mix, but very clearly if everyone's healthy, I, I think JK Dobbins is the guy you want. You know, I, I think it's tough to, to draft them too early until you at least see what the first few weeks of training camp look like. I don't think he's going to play in the preseason based on the fact that he got hurt last year, uh, but it's going to make it a little tougher in that way. But if he's healthy, he very clearly, I mean, we saw what he can do. We can saw what he, what he did in college, saw what he did as a rookie. And I think the element that everyone was interested in last year prior to the injury was him being a little more involved as a receiver, which again is not a big part of a, a Greg Roman offense. But I think with J.K. Dobbins and his skill set, that's something they were planning to introduce. So long answer for not having a ton of clarity. But again, if these guys are at least relatively healthy, you know, and, and feeling good about being healthy enough to be out there, you know, JK is the, the guy you want if you're if we're not going to include Lamar Jackson, who, oh, yeah, is a pretty good bet yeah. to rush for close to a thousand yards, which muddies the water for everyone else. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and you kind of said that we're, we're, we might, there's probably some guesswork involved in the third yeah. down game right now. But I mean, do you think like someone like veteran Mike Davis, maybe rookie and Mizzou product? I went to Mizzou, Tyler Beatty getting involved in third down, or will that be like the area where like Gus or excuse me, JK gets the benefit of the doubt as the primary third down back with, again, the caveat we're kind of guessing as we wait to see how he looks in camp. With his health. Yeah. I mean, I, I think if it's more third and medium where you're, you're talking about, you know, uh, being, being there in blitz pickup pass protection and then leaking out of the backfield. I, I think JK Dobbins is the guy you want there. You know, if it's third and short, I mean, Gus Edwards has been really, really efficient on those situations yeah. and they were really bad in those situations last year, they, they were just so bad on third down in general. And a big, big reason why was they lost their entire backfield before the season started. But uh, again, it's tough to, to, to really nail it down. I, I do think, you know, they were happy to get Mike Davis and, you know, we've seen him you know, go back a couple years ago with Carolina uh, and, and he could be a guy who, you know, a, a couple months from now, we might be talking about him being their feature guy, at least the first couple weeks of the season. But uh, again, in a big picture sense, I, I still feel, everyone healthy Dobbins is the guy you want to have. I, I think he's the guy that, you know, it, if there's going to be a standout, that's not Lamar Jackson from a rushing standpoint, it's very obviously going to be JK. And just real quick as a Mizzou fanatic, how is Tyler made even looking this spring? Cause he was really, really good in college. Yeah. I, I didn't mean to uh, apologies for leaving him out as you mentioned. No, it's okay. <laughs> yeah. He, he's actually, he, he flashed uh, and showed some real ability as a receiver. I mean, it's tough. I mean, I mean OTAs and mandatory minicamp, you're not really seeing what guys can do from a rushing standpoint, but he certainly made some catches. Uh, and John Harbaugh at one point even uh, brought him up unprovoked when kind of asked about the backfield because they didn't have Dobbins or Edwards out there this spring, obviously. So I think Beatty's someone to watch. I, I certainly wouldn't be uh, you know, talking about uh, drafting him uh, anytime soon or you know, uh, preseason, but he could be a guy as the year goes on, especially not knowing what's going to happen with Dobbins if they are to introduce that element of a little more uh, receiving ability out of the backfield. He certainly flashed. I, I'd say anytime the Ravens draft a running back, just knowing their style of offense, uh, I think six round or not, you got to keep an eye on him from a big picture sense. Uh, just knowing, uh, again, that by committee approach that Greg Roman has used for most of his career as a coordinator at different spots. It's why we spent so many summers excited about Justice Hill. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> no right, offense right. to Justice Hill, but yeah. No offense. Yeah. I mean, very yeah. good player. So yeah, uh, Lamar Jackson, obviously, uh, well, a bulked up Lamar Jackson from you know recent reports. Um, I, I had kind of a two-part question here. One, it's been reported over the past few months that Lamar is working with a throwing coach 
who I guess worked with Carson Wentz and other and other guys in in twenty twenty one. Uh oh. Uh, right, and I, I know it's not the greatest. <laughs> Got to get in a Carson Wentz jab if you can. But uh, uh, you you can't you can't not do it. Uh, so uh, anyway, Luke, any thoughts on on how this you know might affect Lamar's uh, passing production, or you know, do you do you have any insight into like what what they're working on with with his uh, throwing motion? Yeah, he's working with Adam Dato, uh, which you know he did that a little bit last year. It seemed to be a little more extensive this year. At least it was on social media more, and of course Lamar's. <laughs> did not show up at voluntary OTAs and you know, a lot of people that defended that and look, it's voluntary, but we do know quarterbacks, there's a di different expectation, but they did point to the fact that he did work with him. I mean, you know, things that they've worked on with, with Lamar for the last few years. I mean, mm -hmm. there, there's always this, you know, the truth always lies somewhere in between, Oh, he's a running back and the, the idiotic things you hear on Twitter, you know, because anyone who's watched this kid from the time he was even a rookie, you could see, you can see the field. There's arm talent. You know, it's not, you know, his accuracy is not always great, but it certainly has had stretches where it's been very good. I think it's just consistency. I know one thing that they've talked about, uh, and James Urban, their quarterbacks coach, the Ravens quarterbacks coach has talked about this, you know, making sure he has a wide base. Sometimes he can get a little too tall with his footwork. You know, that's something they've, they've talked about. But I think you know, one thing Lamar talked about when he addressed the media back in June was, you know, and this goes probably lends itself to him getting a little bit bigger and stronger. He did put on, you know, 10 to 15 pounds of muscle. Uh, so, you know, how that relates to him throwing, but a little more zip on the ball, you know, uh, you know, just wanting to, to, to be a little more, uh, I guess maybe a little more of an assertive passer in sure. that way. You know, not that he's going to suddenly become, uh, you know, a, a, you know, a high, high velocity fastball kind of passer like Josh mm -hmm. Allen, but Lamar has a good enough arm. There's no question about that. Sure. So I'm, fascinated to see what that looks like i don't think it's necessarily going to be that he's this totally different guy but mm -hmm. you know, I, I think it's a recognition of hey last season as well as he started off and we all remember that colts monday night game where he looked like dan yes. marino throwing the football crazy. But, <laughs> yeah, but he that was yeah, a great game yeah it, it was it was fantastic but you know after that game his last seven games he had a passer rating of 73 and a half eight touchdowns 10 interceptions and his Yards per attempt dropped from just over nine to about 6.3. So there was very clearly some drop off there that wasn't all his fault by any stretch of the imagination. The O-line, we talked about the running game, but uh, some recognition, I, I think, from Lamar that, hey, I need, need to sharpen up the you know, sharpen up the game a little bit and get back to where I was uh, a couple years ago where we all remember him as uh, the MVP leading the league in touchdowns and you know just being a little more consistent in that way. So. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's a, a colossal storyline, but it's certainly right. something interesting to see uh, you know, what he looks like day to day as we get into training camp. Well, I, I just for, for one, I, I hope that the the throwing coach doesn't take away one of my favorite parts of football, which is the submarine Lamar Jackson <laughs> <Yeah>. throw. <laughs> like that thing where he just drops it down like a like a reliever coming in in the seventh inning. To, Here we go with the baseball talk out. again with Denny. Well, I'm a baseball guy now, you know. And, and anyway, uh, yeah, I love I love that throw. I love that Lamar changes his arm angle. Like, I mean, like Matthew Stafford, uh, you know, made a big deal of this when he was when he was young, and everybody criticized him for it. Now, now it's the greatest thing in the world. So, yeah, I think it, I think it changes according to results. So, the second part of my Lamar question was: Are we expecting any sort of change with his usage this year, particularly as a rusher? I think it's so tough to project that from the standpoint of what happened last year. They ended up throwing the ball more. I mean, at the same time, they didn't have those running backs they could lean on. I mean, you know, Devontae Freeman was okay. I mean, for what he, where he is in his career, he did a nice job for him, but it wasn't J.K. Dobbins or Gus Edwards. So I think if you look at the Ravens in their totality and how they proceeded this offseason, 
they they know they're hoping they're optimistic that Gus Edwards, J.K. Dobbins back for week one. Yeah, they fortified their offensive line with with drafting Tyler Linderbaum. Yeah, they added Morgan Moses at right tackle. They're hoping and optimistic that Ronnie Stanley's going to be back at left tackle. I think they really want to get back to their closer to the formula they had in, in 2019 when you know you look at what Lamar did. I mean, he was a 1,200 yard rusher, and you know I, I don't think they want him to run more, but I don't think it's necessarily going to be a case of you know, he's only going to be running four or five times a game. I mean, they're, right. they'll pick their spots. I, I think certain matchups where they think, you know, they can exploit a defense with his arm a little bit more than normal and maybe uh, hold back a little bit with him taking off. I think they'll do that. But it really lends itself to what you just said about him as a passer. He's such a dynamic rusher. And, and again, you don't want to have him going out there running 21 times a game. That You know, that's not sustainable. But you know what he can do with his legs. Why would you shy away from that too much? I mean, it's really what makes this offense so incredibly special. I mean, there are other quarterbacks in this league who can throw the ball better than Lamar Jackson. You know, there are some other running backs in the league who certainly will run the ball more than Lamar Jackson, but no one, no one even comes close, you know, Kyler Murray or, you know, Jalen Hurts, anyone to doing what he does to the dynamic degree he does as Mm -hmm. a full threat. So, you know, I, I think the carries will be, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of where they've been the last couple of years, maybe, maybe a tick less, you know, but a lot, so much of that's going to, again, depend on how healthy is Dobbins, how ha- healthy is Edwards. Cause last year it came down to it. There were cer- certain games, not every week, but you know, before he got hurt that they didn't have anyone else dynamic running the football. So you know, you're almost by default, you have to have him carry it uh, a little bit more than you'd like. So uh, again, I think it's, it's easy to talk about these things in July when you're not playing meaningful games, but gets to be right. the fourth quarter and it's a three point game and you know, your passing games, maybe not firing on all cylinders or your, your schemed up running game isn't doing what you'd like it to be doing. And you know, I, I think it's really tough not to just look at your play sheet and say, all right, it's time to give the ball to number eight and everyone else get out of the way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I believe the stat is there's been three 1000 yard quarterback rushing seasons in NFL history and Lamar has two of them. Yeah. So even with the ankle injury last year, I think you're absolutely right that, that's just who he is as a quarterback and you can't really dial that back. And, you know, so Luke, you mentioned last year, you know, they didn't have the running backs to rely on. I mean, the question this year is, do they have the receivers to rely on after, you know, kind of the, at least to outsiders, the stunning Marquise Brown trade to the Cardinals. Now, at least he's a first rounder, but Rashad Bateman being thrust into that number one receiver role. So we, we can talk about Rashad, but also just what do you make of the situation behind him? Like, Who's the number two receiver in this Ravens offense? Yeah, and that's what's tough for me. I mean, I like Rashad Bateman, and I, I think you look at what he did last year. I mean, 46 catches, just over 500 receiving yards, and I think he played 12 games. Only six of those games were with Lamar, basically six full games, and then you know he really played the bulk of his, you know bulk of his playing time down the stretch was with Tyler Huntley and whoever else the Ravens were lining up at quarterback in a given week. But uh, I think that's the the big question for me is all right. He can take a step forward. I mean, he had 68 targets. Marquise Brown had 146. Certainly, he's going to be targeted more. And we saw you know, some social media videos of those two working out in the offseason. So that was good to see. Uh, but my big question is what you just laid out. Who is going to be uh, the, the number two? I mean, if you just look at it by default on the depth chart, you have Devin DuVernay, who Pro Bowl return specialist, but you know, he had 33 catches, 272 yards, and he played just over 600 snaps. I know he wasn't the primary target, but you know, as much as the Ravens had to throw the ball at times last year, much more than they were uh, doing it the previous years, 
you'd like to see a little more production there. So I'm not saying again, that's not all him. You know, I, I think he certainly can take a step forward, but I look at him, uh, the, the, the other guy that I think is, is someone to keep an eye on is James Prochet, who actually did have some decent production in, albeit some limited snaps. You know, he had 16 catches of just over 200 yards and uh, just over 200 snaps. Most of that came in two games, but I think he is a slot option for them who could uh, be, you know, could be productive, but, I still look at those two guys and say, I'd feel way better if they were my number three and four, you know, even if we're going to buy into, okay, they need more opportunities or young receivers, you know, guys that were drafted in, in 2020. So that's where I, I look at this and say, all right, in a perfect world. Yeah. You'd have uh, that alpha number one wide receiver that you could plug in there. But for me, even if you had a, a really good number two to go with Bateman, you know, if, if you're, if you're buying Rashad Bateman, taking a big step forward, that's where I look at this situation and say, okay, I, I know you can point to Mark Andrews, but Mark Andrews has already been part of this offense. And I don't know how much more you can continue to go to that well before you're, they're just triple teaming him. I mean, they were doing that last year, uh, but now you don't have Marquise Brown taking the top off the defense. So that's where I look at this thing. And, you know, I, I think what the Ravens would tell you is what I said a, a little bit earlier in our segment on the running side, going back to 2019, they drafted two tight ends in the fourth round, Charlie Kohler and Isaiah Likely, and two guys that are kind of those catch-first tight ends. Mm -hmm. You go back to 2019, they had three different tight ends, of course with Mark Andrews leading the way, but three different tight ends who caught 30 or more passes with Hayden Hurst and Nick Boyle in that mix, which 30 catches for that offense, as historically efficient as it was, was saying something. So the optimists would say, well, they're going to get their tight ends more involved, but I, I still struggle because not even feeding into the narrative of Lamar Jackson can't come back when they're behind or anything like that. Just the reality of you're going to go toe to toe with some other heavyweights in this conference at some point, whether regular season or you hope come January, Kansas City, Buffalo, et cetera, maybe Denver, who knows with Russell Wilson. But the point is, it's really tough in today's game to not look at uh, navigating a full schedule and say, your passing game is going to have to win you some football games. Even if you pride yourself on defense and run first, and that's where I look at the Ravens and say, love Mark Andrews. Even buying into Rashad Bateman, but you know, I, I finally felt at the end of last year, it was Andrews, Marquise Brown, and now Rashad Bateman, who I, I was thinking for the first time, wow, I don't know if they need a wide receiver. And then Nice little shows, core there. Yeah, shows what I know. They, they trade their, their number one wide receiver on draft night, and to this point, they haven't replaced him, so – do they add a veteran? We'll see. I don't know if it's someone that's going to move the needle and they don't have a lot of cap space at this point, but I, I share that concern with you. I, I'm, I'm high on this team in a lot of ways, but for me to, to really say, I think they're a serious Super Bowl contender. That's the area that's holding me back from, from, you know, putting them in that tier rather than just saying, I, I feel they're going to get back to the playoffs and, you know, play games in January. Just a quick note on James Prochet. He has a much more interesting uh, profile than than I thought. You know, we did a blurb on him back in uh, back in early July, where the Athletics Jeff Zrebeck said Prochet con uh, continually stood out in Ravens minicamp. Um, so Prochet came into the league after leading the entire nation with 111 receptions at SMU, and, and he was fourth in receiving touchdowns with 15 in his final collegiate season. So uh, like a, a monster history of production for Prochet. I do think he's someone probably to monitor in like deeper formats. I, I can't imagine that in a run run first Ravens offense that the third option is going to get many targets, but he's interesting, I think.
Yeah, I, I agree with you. And he's someone who he flashed last year, too. So that's where not yeah. that I'm dismissing it, but you do have to take some pause and say, OK, you know, it, it's one thing to do that in practice. And he has taken full advantage because this guy's a six round pick. It's not like he's been a roster lock the last couple of years, but he's certainly done enough to solidify right. his standing. And I think he has done enough to earn an opportunity now. What is that going to look like when he gets that opportunity on a weekly basis? It's, you know, it's one thing to do it when, you know, he, he had a good game against Denver early in the year, didn't really follow that up with too much, and then kind of fell to the background again. And then late in that, that COVID game where the Ravens just got their doors blown off by Cincinnati, yeah. uh, he, he had some, some production, but you know, they were behind. They were throwing every down. That was Josh Johnson throwing to him at that point. So, you know, I, I think he's interesting. Like you said, very productive. But again, you know, this is year three, okay. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen now because they need someone else to step up. Like you said, it's not going to be a guy that needs to have a thousand receiving yards or anything crazy like that, but you need someone else that's going to be productive for you. Or uh, that's where you fear there's going to be way too much attention devoted to Mark Andrews. And then your all your eggs are in the Bateman basket. And, you know, that's still a little tricky, even if uh, I am high and uh, optimistic on his ability to take a step forward. Sorry if I missed it, Luke, but I don't think I heard you mention Tylen Wallace. Is he in the mix at all for targets or not really? Well, I mean, he's in the mix because they just don't have a lot of guys. I mean, you look at their current depth chart. I mean, they have four guys that are, you know, quote unquote established and everyone else, former practice squad members or rookie free agents. I, I think they brought in five or six rookie free agent uh, wide receivers this spring. So I think Tylen Wallace is going to have an opportunity. But, you know, last year played almost exclusively on special teams, did not get many opportunities, even late in the season when, you know, I, I, there, there was so much. Uh, All hell had broken loose, basically. Right. right, exactly. So, you know, I, I don't want to dismiss him because he could take that, make make more of a jump in his second year. But he just played so little last year. I mean, really, the only real look we got on him uh, was on special teams, which he did a nice job with. But certainly uh, not something you're talking about from a fantasy standpoint uh, in that regard. And so the final question I'll ask you, where you kind of already answered this, I was going to ask, like, do you think the number two could come from outside the house or you just not <laughs> think they're in a cap position to do that? Well, I mean, I, I think the big question is what's the market going to look like? I mean, you know, Julio Jones isn't getting Julio Jones money anymore, right? No. I, I mean, uh, he would have signed by now if he were. Right. So. I mean, you just go down the list of some of those guys, that, you know, what Will Fuller and I mean, you go down the list. I mean, these are all guys that, they're available for a reason at this point. And as much as I'm contradicting myself, I can at least see some argument to saying, you know, you were kind of down this road with Sammy Watkins last year. You know, I go back to even the end of the Joe Flacco era. Jeremy Macklin was, you know, <laughs> you know, done before. Uh, I forgot about I, St. Louis legend. I forget about Jeremy Macklin's yeah, time yeah. with the Ravens. Right, right. I mean, you know, it, it just, it, it, was, it wasn't there for him anymore. He couldn't stay on the field and just wasn't productive. I mean, so do you bring in a guy like that and, you know, guy of that ilk, someone that used to be a bigger name, you know, to, to try to catch lightning in a bottle. I mean, I'm not going to say no, but at the same time, you know, is it a case where it's just going to clog things up a little more, but you're still going to get, you know, a kind of pedestrian production, you know, from that standpoint, is there an argument to at the very least, maybe you start the season you know, with what you have and then maybe, and Eric DaCosta, their general manager has shown uh, an aptitude for making some deals at, at the trade deadline. Maybe that's a, a case where maybe you add someone then. So in an ideal world for me, uh, and I, I've been saying this since, you know, the draft, you know, draft night when they traded Marquise Brown, you know, even if it's not a case where, you know, you go acquire someone's number one, uh, if, is there a number two out there that profiles doing some similar things to what 
Marquise Brown had done for them. Not that he's going to be their top guy, but you know, a guy that stretches the field a little more, a little bit more of a speed guy. You know, that's what I'd like to see because you know, I think Bateman can do some of those things, but he's not the same lightning fast burner. You know, Prochet is more of the possession slot type. You know, Duvernay has great straight line speed as a returner, but it hasn't really translated seeing him do that as a receiver. Maybe he could, maybe there's untapped potential there, but but yeah, I, it's tough. I struggle with this because I'm I'm someone that I haven't shied away from the big flaw of the Baltimore Ravens of, you know, for most of their history, you know, despite all their success and all the things they do extremely well has been the wide receiver position and really going back to trade again, Quan Bolden. Weird. How many great franchises that happens to the Patriots, the Eagles, the Ravens. It's a tough one to get right, I guess. Yeah. Everyone jokes. I mean, just uh, if the Raven, the Ravens could do take one thing from the Steelers, it's whoever's been evaluating their wide receivers (laughs) over the years uh, with the, with the rivalry. So that's where I I am a little leery, Uh, you know, in, in addition to just some of the guys are counting on coming back from injuries, just in a, in a global sense, you know, it, it's tricky when you have some very key players coming back from injury that you're counting on. But, you know, if, if there's that position group offensively, that still does worry me. It is wide receiver just you know, because these guys haven't done it. Doesn't mean they can't do it. But if you're asking me right now, it's tough for me to take that leap of faith, just knowing the history of the organization with that being an area where it's been a problem for them over, over the years across different eras, even different quarterbacks. The Steelers are the one team in the NFL that drafts receivers well, I think. Yeah. <laughs> like every year somehow. But real quick, Luke, you might be surprised to learn that in the fantasy community, we are once again hyping Sammy Watkins. This time on the Green Bay Packers. So what does dead may never die there, basically, with Sammy Watkins? Hey, uh, Sammy, you know, we didn't get you – know, w- with these last couple COVID years, we haven't had a chance to get to know these guys nearly as well as we had in the past. But, you know, I mean – I felt for him because I, I think, you know, he came in, he was optimistic. He, it was kind of healthy early on. And j- then just, you know, I, I guess I don't want to say old habits cause he's not doing it on purpose, but just hasn't been able to stay on the field, you know, but to his credit, you know, he, if you want to look at it from a win probability standpoint, he did have some big catches for them that uh, saved them on a couple of occasions as they, what had 12 one score games that they played last year. He was right in the middle of a few of those. Well, he's going to be a fantasy X factor in Green Bay, according to us. So, Luke, thank you so much for joining us. Awesome stuff on all the Ravens position groups. And follow Luke at Baltimore Luke on Twitter. And, yeah, get some Orioles tweets in between now and training camp, you know, seven to ten days away. Uh, Luke, seriously, great stuff. Thank you so much for joining us. No problem, guys. Guys, glad to do it. Go O's. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) That was Luke Jones. I'm Patrick Darty, and this is Denny Carter, and we still have two teams to we talk do. about in this division. Uh, we will be right back after this. The Fantasy Football Expo presented by NBC Sports Edge is coming to Canton, Ohio, August 12th to 14th. Join some of the top experts in the country, including our very own me, Pat Corain, Dennis Carter, Lawrence Jackson, and Kyle Dvorak for the only true fantasy football expo in the country. Tickets are available at the fantasyfootballexpo.com. Use promo code NBCPASS at checkout to save $20. Yeah, Denny, um, we're going to beat this expo. And we are. We're, t- we're t- like basically making you like a zoo animal, it sounded like, like putting you like in a booth or something where you're, uh, the Denny it, army could like come look at you and like poke you and prod you. It's a, yeah, it's a, it's a small cage. Um, and uh, yeah, you can come over and, and poke me, call me names, things, <laughs> things of that nature. But we're, we're raising money. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, yeah, no, God, no, no, <laughs> not doing anything like that. Definitely um, not. Yeah, no, we're raising money for Denny. 
Um, but yeah, right. You can you can come take take a selfie with me if that's yeah. something that you. Then he's to. gonna have a bucket that you can just put money in, like he's a busker. That's really. Well, this time it's like you just hand out takes, and then people put money in your bucket. But I don't. Yeah, I, but I, I don't like the uh, fact that I have to use all that money to buy the rest of the NBC team beer. <laughs> yeah, I know it's uh. So, you know, hopefully you'll have some teeth left by then. Because I said we need takes. Yeah, and we got your dentist take, which I agree with. Your dentist, dentist is just a scam. It's a scam. I mean, it's a scam. Every a time scam. you go, it's a disaster. I mean, it's just, it, and I take good care of my teeth because I had some issues like 15 years ago, and I was like, "Well, I'm never. That's never happening again. I am committed to making it a habit to floss, to brush all the time, to use the the very fancy, very expensive mouthwash, all that stuff, right?" It do- doesn't work. It turns well, the problem out is you drink nine vanilla cokes a day, and like that's gonna do it. Right, and I and I just spread uh, brown sugar all over my uh, <laughs> teeth in the mornings. But I do I do eat brown sugar with my oatmeal, so maybe that's mm. uh, maybe that's causing it. But yeah, I it, yeah, I only it do was, cinnamon with the oatmeal. Only do it was, cinnamon. It was horrific. It was a horrific visit to the dentist, and let's just say I will be at the dentist several times in the coming months. Oh my gosh! Well, speaking of scams, Denny, we have the Pittsburgh Steelers trying to pretend Mitchell Trubisky could be the Week One starting quarterback, and I'll just begin by asking you that. I mean, do we lend any credence to this, or is it going to be Kenny Pickett in Week One? Or the Steelers think they have an elite roster? They're going to try to grind through the year with a veteran quarterback and Mitchell Trubisky. What is your your read on that situation? I really just, you know, understanding Steelers culture and Mike Tomlin <laughs> culture. I can't see the rookie emerging unless Trubisky gets hurt early on. Oh, man. I think I think Trubisky will will get every single chance. Um, you know, I know that that uh, Pickett was working with a third string offense in mini camps, but I guess is not is not shocking. That stunt season, kind of, you know, yeah. that's like and that's like when Tomlin shines like hard, hard A coaches. You know, like when it doesn't matter, like oh yeah, he's got the fifth team reps this week. You didn't even know we had a fifth team. Yeah, like Kenny Pickett's out there with them. Right, and and you know, I I, I really do think Trubisky will have to fall on his face big time, which you know it. It's possible, you know. We, we remember, we remember Trubisky uh, with the Bears, and you know he did that smart thing where he hit himself for a year, and now he's back. So, <laughs> but but yeah, I think that we have we we should bank on Trubisky playing at least most of the season again, barring injury or something. Um, and honestly, I don't know if that's like I think that's preferable for the pass catchers on this team compared to Pickett under center. I don't oh, know. Man. By the way, you just mentioned Mitch Trubisky. He got football canceled, and he came back with a Steelers substack. And <laughs> yes, yes, he did. He's back in the I've, game. I've I've been yes, I've been I've been canceled by the mob. Support me, <laughs> and if you support me, you'll sign me to a uh, uh, to a starters deal. So, talking about the Steelers quarterback situation, do you find someone like Chase Claypool even draftable? Like maybe it's an extreme way to put it. But he's only the wide receiver fifty. Right now, an underdog, right. which, as we know, is a very sharp group of drafters. We're gonna be getting more, you know, like the, the redraft players are about to be coming back. ADPs will be changing soon. Where, like Chase Claypool and his name recognition, you know, might not. He probably won't fall all the way to wide receiver fifty. But can yeah. we trust Chase Claypool in an offense that's gonna be Kenny Pickett or or Mitchell Trubisky? Well. Two things working against Claypool, obviously the quarterback situation, which honestly I, I guess couldn't be worse than Roethlisberger. But 
Probably not. It is crazy, isn't it? But yeah, I mean, I almost nothing can be worse than whatever. I mean, like the old man ad-libbing. That's why I will not miss out with the Steelers. You know, where like Ben gets flushed from the pocket and he just kind of like flings the ball and it's just like a really bad incompletion. Yeah. It will be better than that, I think. And then the second thing where he ends Claypool is uh, that dog in George Pickens. Uh, you know, I, you know, George Pickens off the chart on yeah, my, on my dog, dog algorithm. Hi there. And uh, so I, I could see him falling to like a wide receiver three in that offense behind um, obviously Deontay Johnson and George Pickens. And then you have other, you know, you have Najee Harris commanding targets from the backfield. Uh, I guess the best case scenario for Claypool is that he gets, more more slot opportunities because he's actually been pretty good as a big slot and he's a massive slot receiver um and he you know gets matched up with smaller cornerbacks that can you know result in some some favorable looks but he's shown you know claypool through two seasons in the league has shown he can't separate um uh, almost uh 40 percent oh, of claypool's on, oh wait wait, wait. almost a 40 percent of claypool's targets last season were considered contested catches that was the the sixth highest rate in the entire league. Uh, he wasn't even really good on those contested catches. So He's I know the dog in him. And, and I, I just want to go back to something. I want to go back to my initial preseason ranking of chase Claypool in 2021. And the, the flack that I got from the good, the good team at NBC sports edge. And it turns out I was right. <laughs> yeah, I know we, sh- I know we like, kind of like forced you into conformity. I, yeah. I had to move him up. I, I have the, the the pressure was too much. No, that was bad. You were right all along. I mean, so. what point is there any point where you consider Chase Claypool a value wide receiver X? Or I, I mean, okay, in a league where you have to start three receivers, uh, and it's and it's twelve teams. I do think, obviously, he. I think he should be drafted. I don't know. Is that a, is that a like a, a startling statement? No, I mean, I, I think that yeah, it'd be I mean, pretty bad if he were on the waiver wire. Right. So I, he is a guy I, that makes big plays, and he's got at least one signature skill where he can make big plays. He scored. He ha, he did score a lot of touchdowns before he didn't score a lot of touchdowns. <laughs> he was four uh, touchdowns before he was against them. Yes, and <laughs> the Zoomers will have no idea. On, no um, idea what no uh, idea. that means. Um, but I I do, and I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, so I, I do think that that he should be drafted. But I, I honestly, I, it's hard to see like a path to consistent targets now. It really, is. and just too, I mean. We don't ever truly know what's going on, but it just certainly seems like Mike Tomlin does not like Chase Claypool. Oh, he did. And, definitely doesn't like. Him. And we're, we're the the least the there was the least amount of dog on any individual play last year was Chase Claypool <laughs> celebrating when the Steelers were in hurry up mode at the end of the game and trying to get the ball set. And oh, because, uh, I've never seen less dog in a, in a player. Than Chase Claypool. You know, you know who wouldn't do that? George Pickens. No. God, That's all I'm no. Well, I mean, he literally played for the Georgia Bulldogs. I mean, what do you expect? It's uh, <laughs> I mean, just look at that guy watching the NFL draft, watching his name called. Look oh, at that, that man. That was that was dirty. Tell, that tell was me, bad. Yeah, tell me that you're not. No, no, no. You're you're talking about having Claypool call his name. Yeah, 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 yeah. Sorry, I, you're I'm, talking about something different. I'm talking about Pickens standing in front of his television at home. Uh, what did he do? I don't re- remember. 
he has that this very weird posture. You have to look it up. This picture, very <laughs> weird posture, just staring at the, at the TV. And I'm talking, he's one foot from the TV. There's 12 inches between his face and the TV. That guy, he that, that's one intense individual. That's all uncontainable saying. levels of dog. Yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> more, more, more or less dog than who? Who's the guy that won the Australian Cameron Smith? Yeah. Guy? Okay. Cam Smith has quite quite a bit of dog. You know. He's going to have less dog if he joins the live tour. <laughs> I feel like that won't be very dog levels of him. You don't need dog. You get paid no matter what. That's true. You I guess you don't even need dog at that These point. guys, yeah. I mean, they're, they're, it's a it's a dog-free zone. It is a dog-free zone in that old live tour. Uh, closing out the Steelers, Denny. Well, Pat Fryermuth, do you think he'll take a step forward this season or will it be kind of like a repeat freshman year, so to speak, campaign for him where – this isn't the right environment to take a step forward in what is probably going to be a conservative offense with either Mitchell Trubisky or rookie Kenny Pickett. I don't see much appeal. I don't know with, with Fryermuth. I mean, like, yes, obviously he's the most Steelers player of all time, but he, he, he was splitting pass routes and snaps with uh, a guy named Zach Gentry for the final, like six weeks of last season. I don't know if that has something to do with Fryermuth, like struggling with, uh, with a head injury, with a cut concussion that he suffered last season, that was it bad. Could, could be, could be. Um, but I, I remember writing up Firemuth week after week and looking at his his routes and his participation in the offense, and I'm thinking, this is this is this is not it, as the kids say, right? No, this yeah. ain't it. This ain't it. It ain't, ain't it. it. Um, this ain't it. It's Je- Zach Gentry season in Pittsburgh. No, I, I, I really, I'm not excited at all about Firemuth. Yeah, it is just kind of like he's repeating second grade this year. And <laughs> I mean, maybe in the Scott Fishbowl where you get 3.5 points per reception, I got to fact check that. But you should be into Pat Fryermuth. But oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. And I guess Scott- it could be a touchdown score. He could be a tight, he could be like Hunter Henry this year. In Scott Fishbowl, Fishbowl uh, Fryermuth will outscore AJ Brown. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, no, I uh, really enjoy Scott Fish. I haven't enjoyed my league drafting very slowly we, and i'm not usually a slow draft complainer but it's I mean, we're in the third round this is day eight yes um, no it's like the 11th round but oh that's well brutal though round. i know very very slow but i think it's in I'm making my team better because i'm actually thinking about my picks so that's good you're thinking you're thinking very hard i i am i am pondering my picks and i took a kicker Oh by the way, God. I took Tyler, a Tyler Bass. So uh, you were, you know, when you the word kicker. So you know, another person the Zoomers never heard of, Dick Nixon, one of the presidents of this country. Uh, he had an automatic tape machine that just kicked on when he started talking in the Oval yeah. Office. <laughs> yeah. When you say the word kicker, the lawyers' tape machines just turn, they fire on, and they immediately start recording. I can't blame them, honestly. So. And and yeah, I took Tyler Bass way too early i mean ridiculous i don't even remember what it was but no one else has taken a kicker <laughs> i'm actually i'm actually quite embarrassed about the whole thing <laughs> no, that's that's pretty amazing uh you gotta be your brand stay within your brand yeah i mean it, it really some of these drafts let's be honest everybody who's listening is in the industry or whatever these are brand building exercises they are it's so, true okay. so apparently raymond summerlin won the scott fishbowl one year he's been claiming I remember that um so it's real. He actually did. Yeah, I, I, I think a long time ago. Yeah, and now that's a that's a brand builder. That's a brand builder. Yeah, for I, sure. the, the one thing I haven't tried with building the brand is actually winning. That, <laughs> you know, I, 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 that's something. Oh, because you know that would destroy the brand. 
It would. It would. I have to. I have to talk up players like James Prochet. Exactly. Yeah, I know you. Just drilling in on the beat writer about James Prochet, <laughs> which I mean, that's how. That's really the Ravens' fault. Uh, right. That, that shouldn't be a viable question, but it was a viable question. It was. Mr. Luke about James Prochet, who was a very, very good guest. We're on to the Bengals. Denny, I just want to regression for Joe Burrow. Everyone's just screaming the word regression yeah. at Joe Burrow, who led the league in both yards per attempt and completion percentage last year. That's like a Aaron Rodgers type of feat. Yeah. Uh, are we going to see regression for Joe Burrow? What, what is the lay of the land, you would say, for Joe Burrow in 2022? So I've seen uh, varying analyses of Joe Burrow's potential touchdown regression in this coming season. And the the touchdowns uh, over expected lie somewhere between five and thirteen touchdowns, which is quite the quite the gap. Um, but he, however you splice it, uh, he was among the league leaders in touchdown passes over expected. Um, that I tend to think that that will happen when you have probably the best wide receiver duo in the in in the game. You know, I mean, it's just it's not every season. Now, I'm not saying every season he's going to be way over expected, but sometimes it's you're going to put up silly numbers that you shouldn't be putting up because you have basically two wide receiver ones. And we've talked about T Higgins would be wide receiver one on like 15 to 18 teams in the league. Um, So just just ridiculous talent in that offense. So in that way, I'm not like. I'm not like fretting about Joe Burrow from a fantasy standpoint. Now it would be nice if the Bengals continue doing what they did for most of the second half of last season, which is to pass the ball more on first down. I thought you were going to say, give the ball to Samaji P Ryan. That too. He's, he's my RB one in every dynasty <laughs> format. Uh, but uh, you know, I mean, the, the, the Bengals were so good on first down when they get this, when they pass the ball. And, uh, sure. and, and we, and we know that I, I hope the Bengals recognize that. I hope they continue that into this year. If they do, I, you know, I don't really see a reason to be too, too freaked out about Joe Burrow, especially he's not, his ADP is fine. There's nothing. It's fine. Nothing. Yeah. It, like, it kind of came down to it's, fr- it can be frustrating. Um, but like the Joe Burrow case for him, not regressing kind of comes down to him being a model breaker, but he's kind of always been a model breaker. We know Jamar Chase is a model breaker. Yeah. And, you know, there's going to be people who don't want to rely on that. And that's totally fine because they're very smart people who don't, aren't like superstitious and like praying to rune stones. Like I just get like a Danish rune stone and pray to it that Joe Burrow will not regress this year. But yeah, I mean, there's, this is an offense with some model breakers in it. And um, yeah. when you lead the league as a sophomore and both, Yards per attempt and completion percentage. I mean, you might be a special player. Yes, I think that that's what we're dealing with, and a, spe- and a, a potentially special offense if the head coach doesn't mess it up. So I joked about some IGP Ryan, but talk about Thorn and everyone's side last year. Joe Mixon managers. The Bengals have never fully trusted Joe Mixon on third downs. No. You think he's going to seed more? He played just enough third downs, caught just enough passes last year where he really thrived even as a PPR back. But do you think it's a situation where they might get dialed back more? Cause it just seemed like anytime they have a reason to not use Joe Mixon as like their true third down back, they kind of seize upon it. Yeah. What, what do you think is going on with Joe Mixon and third downs? 
Well, I mean, Mixon saw a nice spike in, in, in pass routes, uh, not so much in targets per route run, which, you know, it's reasonable considering the, you know, the talent surrounding him. Uh, you know, the athletics, Paul uh, Daner, perhaps. Yeah, I always say yeah. Daner. We're sorry uh, to these reporters. Like, we write your name so yeah. much and just never, ever say them. So, yeah, the athletics, um, Bengals beat Schefter. rate. <laughs> uh Recently... Uh, reported that Chris Evans has a chance to supplant Samaj P. Ryan as the third down back. So when you're talking, when beat writers are already talking about like the third down back, that's pro- probably not indicative uh, of Joe Mixon seizing a three down role. I don't, I don't think that's in the cards. You know, his, I think his ADP accounts for for that to to an extent. I do think you're probably drafting him like near his ceiling. When you, if you, if you do take them in, in redraft leagues, especially like I let, you know, I know this is a little bit of a, um, a, you know, a little bit of an easy out, but I like him way better in standard leagues than I do in PPR. I'd say that. But you haven't played a standard league, of course, since 1993. Well, I would but, never. It's against my religion, actually. Yeah, and actually, that actually has been part of your ongoing employment agreement. You're only allowed to continue working for NBC as long as you stay away from a standard league. And um, and yet I I my mock draft that I wrote up uh, for uh, NBC Sports Edge subscribers is uh, was standard standard scoring. So. That's uh, th- and there's so much paperwork between the lawyers. Some <laughs> stuff just uh, slips through their cracks. Denny, is there a third passing game? It's like we're basically not even going to discuss Jamar Chase and T Higgins. It's because like why? yeah, there's just They're yeah elite players. Is the third pa- passing game? Do we still like Tyler Boyd? Basically, I think it's kind of what this question is. Ah, yeah, I, I sometimes see like Tyler Boyd pop up on fantasy Twitter as like, oh, he's the guy you're forgetting about. I, yeah, I it's true. We I are forgetting okay. about him. Right. And I, it's true. I think it's okay. You can go. You can forget. You can forget because, you know, like Mixon, like I just mentioned with Mixon and and whoever is the starting tight end, uh, who's the tight end for the Bengals? Well, now? I was going to ask you about the, the final question. It's the, Hayden Hurst. Hey, it's Hayden Hurst. I'm yeah. sorry. I keep forgetting that. You know, the, these guys are like so far down in the pecking order compared to Higgins and to and to Chase. So it's like, for example, Tyler Boyd uh, in 2021 posted a career low yards per route run. That's tough. And his targets per route run dropped from 21 percent in 2020 to 15 and a half percent last year. But it makes sense. It makes sense. He's still look, at, he's still running every route. Like he's in every three wide receiver set for the Bengals. And that makes sense, but it's hard to command targets when you have Higgins and chase hogging everything. So I, I mean, I guess like he's a little bit of a PPR cheat. What do you call it? PPR scam cheat code. I, I mean, I say scam a lot. I mean, yeah. it, it's it maybe I think, numbers. I think, now the, the real, the, the real upside for, um, for Tyler Boyd is if, is if either chase or Higgins get dinged up. And, and, and in that case, Boyd, I think, then becomes like a starting wide receiver in 12-team leagues. I mean, that point, Denny is out of fab. Um, it, of yeah, no, well, yeah, at that point, I've moved to the Tibetan mountains. And, uh, <laughs> yes, <of course. laughs> well, I mean, so, yeah, CJ Ozama had tight end one pop-up games for the Bengals last year. I mean, any reason to expect something similar from Hayden Hurst? Or are we – have we moved on from Hayden Hurst season? Who's 28? It's, I guess – Thought maybe it was only like his third or fourth year. It is his fifth year in the league. But yeah, are we moving on from Hayden Hurst? Hayden Hurst has a great 
has always had a great profile. He was a first round pick. No, he, was, he was old, but he was a first round pick. Yes. And, uh, but he has never shown an ability to command targets. And no. so now you put him in one of the most uh, explosive talent packed receiving games in the entire league. I, he, he's not getting anything. No, man. You went about a high T pick. Hayden Hurst was a 24 year old first rounder. Taken oh. ahead of Lamar Jackson. I, yeah, I did know that. I did. It's, it's uh, 24? High T. Yeah, and he turned 25 that August. Oh, he was 24 my. on draft night, and he turned 25 so, before he ever played a uh, regular season down. So Hayden Hurst was playing against 18-year-old college kids when he was 24. Yeah. That's what you're saying. Okay. Yeah, pretty interesting. That's a, that's a factor we should consider. Yeah, that is a factor we should. Yeah, I, was like, I think I'm doing this math right. I, I am. Yeah, he was 24 on draft day, 25 week one. But I, there will be big plays. So the scene, you got to cover, devote so much attention to T. Higgins, Jamar Chase, CJ Ozama was just running free down the scene sometimes last year. Yeah. It could happen for Hayden Hurst. Hayden I, Hurst is vague. He is vaguely interesting as much as we kind of just joked about. Yeah, him. look, I, I, I'm talking down on Hayden Hurst. I'm sure that in in by week two I'll be I'll be writing three hundred three hundred words on why Hayden Hurst is a good streamer. So that's, <laughs> that's true. That's true. Um, so and it's also true that this show is over. Okay. Um, we had a really good episode today. So much thanks to the Cleveland Plain Dealers, Mary Kay Cabot, and to W E W N S T Baltimore's Luke Jones. Really great stuff on the Ravens. Thanks to Steelers and Bengals beat writer Denny Carter. <laughs> we just previewed. Yeah, okay. The hell out of those two teams. Hey, listen, when I'm not watching Orioles games, I'm studying those offenses. It's true. It's true. Yeah, when you're not breaking down Trey Mancini's swing, uh, you're out there, yeah, uh, studying the Steelers. Check it out on YouTube. I have a I have a three hour clip of uh, a, a super cut of Mancini home runs. There you go. So, Denny, Baltimore Orioles fan since 1969. I'm a St. Louis Cardinals fan my entire life. For Denny, I'm Pat. That is all for today. We'll be back tomorrow with Denny Carter.